Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kali. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kali, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kali. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of having uh, Mr. Dave Zook. Uh, Dave Zook is the founder president uh, with the Real Asset Investor uh, Group. And uh, under that umbrella, Dave uh, owns and operates uh, uh, assets well over 100 million. Uh, welcome to the show, Dave. Appreciate you taking time today. Thanks, Sakar. Thanks for having me on your show. Awesome. Uh, please share some background, uh, Dave, as to you know how you came about into real estate investing, uh, sort of the lesson learned, and why you shifted your focus uh, slowly towards multifamily and the syndication aspects uh, of it. Yeah, so I I really uh, was an investor all of my adult life, even even before I was an adult in my um, early teens. And uh, so I I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. I saw my dad; he was a very successful businessman. He invested in real estate, but he invested in such a way where he took the extra money from his very successful business and kind of parked it in real estate. He he bought some land and some farms and some single family homes and I saw him self manage some of those single family homes. Mm -hmm. I just thought, you know what, there's gotta be a better way to make money than managing mm -hmm. single family homes. So I, I sort of made up my mind that I didn't want to be a real estate investor. And uh, so I, so I kind of grew up with that and, and, you know, as I was building my businesses and, you know, starting to make a lot of money, I got into a real tax uh, problem. I uh, got to the point where I had to pay, almost a half million dollars in tax wow. and uh so i i uh really got to digging and learning and reading a lot of robert kiyosaki and his team and following them and and uh got to the point where i realized that real estate you know specifically multifamily, can be a real tax shelter and uh so that's when i got interested and i went from you know not wanting any uh real estate investments to all of a sudden want as much as I could get my hands on. Interesting. Interesting. So in your childhood, that was that like sort of the management aspects that you saw uh, while operation uh, with your dad, was that that you thought was probably sort of uh, what repelled you as to not wanting into, uh, you know, single family uh, investments could it it is and and you know the timing was great for me i mean i you know i built several businesses and really got that going and and you know it, it was it was in that time from you know 2000 to 2007 8 9 10 mm -hmm. and you know it was only in about 2010 when we when i really got serious about owning uh commercial real estate and so you know, I'd like to think that I've been smart enough to not get caught up in that craze of 2005, six and seven and, sure. and, uh, you know, start investing then. Uh, 
but it was it was good timing. I mean, it was it was a time when, you know, obviously looking back at 2010, nobody nobody knew it, or sure. you know, everybody knows it now. Looking back to 2010, oh yeah, we should have bought all the multifamily we could, we could get our hands on. Right. Uh, but you know, those were scary times back then. Right. Uh, you know, 2008, nine, and ten. You know, the world didn't know what was going to happen next. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. Everybody ran away thinking the world is coming to an end. And yeah. very select few realized, well, you know, the power of the deals that were around, you know. <laughs> yeah, I wish we could buy multifamily like we were back then. So Absolutely, absolutely. No, just, uh, you know, timing was great. And we got into uh, a lot of multifamily. And then from there, I got into uh, some other asset classes. And, and uh, you know, just uh, for me, it, I, I'm an investor. And it doesn't have to be multifamily. It doesn't have to be a specific asset class. Um, it has to do what I want. It, it has to fulfill a purpose that I'm looking to fulfill. You know, whether that be wealth creation through appreciation, whether that be cash flow, or whether that be tax protection through depreciation. Absolutely, so, absolutely. I think you 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 definitely touched upon the several pillars uh, of investing and you know wealth creation. As I I am personally also invested into a few other uh, franchises just other than real estate. So I can uh, relate to that very fact that, you know, you're looking sort of a mindset from a entrepreneur that you're looking that, hey, where's the opportunity where it makes sense to, you know, create wealth and shelter some and get some tax benefits. So I totally agree with you. Uh, so moving on as far as the multifamily syndications, uh, Dave, uh, please share with us, like, how did that come about? How was your, like, first uh, multifamily syndication as far as, you know, how you structured it and things like that? Well, the way I structured, when I first bought some on my own, the way I structured it is, is really, I just bought them for myself. I, mm -hmm. I got into this space. I, I got chased into multifamily because I had a tax problem. Tax problem. <laughs> so, I, so I started buying them, for, buying them on my own. Sure. And I, I bought a couple hundred units on my own and, and eventually uh, ran out of money. And, and, you know, of course there were still good deals in the marketplace. There right. were still, you know, uh, we, we had a good team on the ground in Memphis and, and there was opportunities around. So uh, I got to the point where um, this next deal came along and I went out and raised the money and it was through a series of events, series of events. I, i learned a lot about syndication. I, I ran into people who were having trouble placing capital and getting any kind of return for it. And I just kind of connected the dots and I thought, man, this could work. So absolutely. absolutely. It was really, it was really just, uh, you know, running out of my own money and then trying to figure out how to still do deals and bring other people into the deal. Absolutely. And, and as you rightfully said that I think uh, the more you invest, you are low on capital and the opportunities are still there. And sometimes even bigger the opportunities, the amount of equity raise and things like that, that has to be uh, done, it, it certainly becomes a strain. And that opens the doors to syndications, uh, basically. Uh, so in your first syndication then, Dave, like what was sort of the size of your uh, deal? Uh, how did you structure it as far as general partnership, limited partnership, technically, how did you go about that? Yeah, so I think the first deal that we did, the first deal that we syndicated, I needed I needed to raise eight hundred fifty thousand dollars to do to do a I don't know three million dollar deal, I see. and pretty typical on the syndication side. I and mean, we did you know a seventy five twenty five split, 
mm-hmm. uh, 25% going to the GP or the management, 75% going to the investors. Um, so, so pretty typical what you see out there in syndication. We put the deal together and, you know, investors liked it. They mm-hmm. came back for more. They wanted to do more deals and they told their friends and it sort of grew organically uh, for a while. And it just kind of, uh, I never really got into real estate investing thinking that I was going to be a syndicator. It sort of just naturally happened. Sure, sure, sure. Absolutely. And I think uh, moving on, I know, Dave, you are uh, sort of very much in tuned into different asset classes, whether it is self-storage space, ATM, and your newest project uh, uh, as far as coal uh, and the shell oil out of that. Uh, let's maybe take step by step. For example, uh, self-storage space, that is extremely appealing considering the history as to how it operates and things like that. Uh, could you share with our listeners uh, like why you like self-storage and uh, what sort of uh, insights you gained with your association through self-storage? We have, a, we have a modular building business up here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. In fact, Lancaster is sort of the capital of the United States for manufacturing, manufacturing modular right. building, storage right. sheds, garages, and all that. Well, we have one of the biggest manufacturing companies in the area in Lancaster and it's our, it's our family business. And so back in the day I was in my early twenties and I was delivering buildings down to one of our dealers and, and um, you know, he had a big self storage facility and he told me, you know, we got to talking cause I was always, even, even at that age, I was always very interested in business and he got to telling me, you know, about this business model. And he said, man, it's the easiest way to make money ever. Mm-hmm. And so I never forgot that. And, you know, then I got busy. I was building my businesses and, you know, investing in multifamily. I never really had a good entry point and didn't know the right people to team up with. And uh, it was only about uh, a year or two ago where uh, some folks in my network, uh, they introduced me to a really good multifamily or, I mean, a self-storage operator. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I got to really do some due diligence on the team. I had them come up and meet a good friend of mine who was also deep into the, into the self-storage space. In fact, he was the chairman of the board for the National Self-Storage Association wow. and got these two guys together. And, and he and a mentor of mine interrogated them for an hour and a half. And, and at that point, then I went down, I flew down to see their operation and, and mm-hmm. look at what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was just, you know, we connected we uh i like the team i like the asset look whenever whenever you can have self-storage as an asset class that does really well in times of turmoil or turbulence uh people are getting laid off from their jobs people mm-hmm. are moving divorce uh you know i mean just you know when when slow down in the economy you know um, that's when self-storage typically shines. When you look back historically, self-storage does really good in those, th- in those times. Now, if you can have an asset class that does really well in good times and does even better in bad times, uh, I like that. You want to know more about it, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, looking at the timing we're in, you know, I mean, uh, we've been in a bull market now for 10 years. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We all know that there's a slowdown coming, whether it comes next year, two years from now, three years from now, whatever. We all know it's common. If you can position yourself into an asset class that does well throughout a recessionary period or downturn, um, I like it. And I want to get in that position. 
Sure, sure. So uh, other than the economic benefits uh, there, uh, Dave, is it something that it is always occupied? Uh, it is a sort of a low uh, entry uh, as far as per unit goes and things like that. Is that sort of some of the economic factors around self-storage that are also appealing uh, uh, in that sector? Well, uh, so not every self-storage facility does great. I mean, you mm -hmm. need a good team that knows how to run self-storage. Right. So, I, you know, I, I always, I like to look for great team players. I like to look for people that, you know, this is all they do. My self-storage mm -hmm. team has been doing this for 30 some years and this is all they've done. They haven't I run, see. you know, they, they haven't, they're not like me and run, you know, several different businesses and sure. invest in several different asset classes. They have their one thing and they're really good at what they do. So I think that's important going into any deal and into any asset class is finding a team that's really good at what they do. Right. Right. Awesome. So you think always that having that focus and a team dedicated and having that uh, long experience is some of uh, sort of the key points that you look for other than just the pure asset uh, class. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Got it. Yeah, I mean a bad a bad team will, you know, I mean they'll they'll screw up a good asset. Right, right. So, uh as far as the ATM space, uh Dave, um I know there are uh, you know a lot of ATMs all around in shopping centers and your neighborhood stores and things like that. Uh how how does that class operate? Why why that ATM uh asset class appeals you? Could you maybe give us some uh salient points around that? Yeah, so you know, 10 years ago, people used to go to the bank on a Friday night and they used to, you know, they, they used to get a check from their employer and they used to go to bank on a Friday night. They used to deposit the bank and then they, you know, take some cash out for the weekend or for the next week or two. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. People get paid via ACH. Uh, my argument to brick and mortar banks is you really don't need them anymore. You know, with online banking, with ATMs, with with all the technologies, you know, why have brick and mortar banks? Well, most of our uh, kind of not not tenants, but most of the people that use our ATM machines are not people that would invest in our ATM machines. They can't. They're lower mm -hmm. income folks. Sure. That's that's how these people bank. Mm -hmm. And so when you when you realize who your primary user is and how they use the machines. That's that's pretty. I mean, that's important. It's, it's, it's important to figure out your customer in any asset class mm -hmm. or or business. Right. But no, I mean the the way the investment works is we go out. Our my team, my my ATM team goes out, and and there's a whole world out there of ATMs. I mean, you know how you have multifamily brokers, and you got you know bankers, and you got you know portfolio sales, and you got asset. You know, there's there's a niche market for you know, in the ATM space, mm -hmm. it's no different. It's just a lot more smaller and a lot more niche. -y. Um, so, you know, we go out and buy a portfolio of locations and then we'll uh, take those locations. We'll take the old machines out. We'll replace them with our new machine, new updated machines. Mm -hmm. And then we'll say to an investor, we'll, we'll, we'll buy a big portfolio of locations. Then mm -hmm. I'll go out and find investors to come in and take bite-sized pieces of that portfolio. We break it up in $104,000 units. Mm -hmm. 
one unit is seven machines. Mm -hmm. So then our management company says to the investor, we'll commit that you'll get 3,373 transactions for your unit per month. And your, your portion of the surcharge revenue is 63 cents. So you're getting, you know, you're, you're getting a, a, you know, well into the teens for your returns mm -hmm. and your tax benefits are, you know, great. I mean, most of your cash flow that you're making from the uh, asset or from your surcharges are tax free because of the depreciation. So it's just a good combination of very good, strong cash flow and very good depreciation. Awesome. So a couple of questions around that then there, that uh, these ATM machines and those locations, like for example, let's say we find ATMs in shopping centers and, you know, some of these other stores like Rite Aid, CVS, things like that, right? So those locations or those, uh, are those spaces leased? So when you say that uh, you're buying a portfolio of these locations, uh, give us some insights into that. Uh, are these locations sort of publicly advertised on LoopNet or something like that? Or is it like a different uh, market as to how these locations come along and you get uh, or your company gets uh, sort of that right to place a ATM machine in that location? Uh, give us some mechanics behind it, please. Yeah, it's a small market. It's a unique market. You got to be in the space to really know what's going on. I mean, most people think that ATMs are owned by banks. And, you know, some of that is because a lot of ATMs are wrapped with, you know, bank information. Um, and that's just marketing. Right. That's um, all branding there. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's just branding. And so, you know, there's, there's a market out there. There's ATM brokers. And, but the important thing to, to know is typically these ATM uh, portfolios are set up on five to seven to 10 year contracts. So when your contract comes up for bid, that thing goes out to the public market again and you get to bid on it and other buyers, other buyers get, get, get to bid on it. So, you know, it, it goes out to market. If you end up being the bidder, you know, the highest bidder, just like a multifamily deal, mm -hmm. uh, you end up with the asset. Now we're not, um, diluting. We're not, uh, creating a whole bunch of new, uh, ATM locations mm -hmm. and saturating the marketplace, we're unseating somebody. We're going in and somebody, someplace where there were ATMs and we're taking those out and replacing them with our own. I see. So something that might be coming off lease and uh, those machines uh, like probably get uh, out of provision and you have your own machines that you are placing on. Would that be correct? Yeah. And, you know, there's some locations. I mean, we did a, a whole due diligence tour with a, a large investor last week mm -hmm. and we, we, we walked uh, New York City, not the whole city, obviously, but we, we walked through the streets of New York City to different locations where we had machines. Mm -hmm. there, there was a deli that we saw. I mean, it was, you know, prime location. It was right on the busy street corner. Mm -hmm. There was two machines inside the deli. That's how much transaction volume they get inside that deli. So there was, there was actually two of our machines in that deli. Interesting. So for example, then uh, Dave, that someone is to buy the portfolio, right? What does that look like? Like how many machines uh, is it like maybe 50, hundred? How, how does like, uh, could you give us, uh, give us insights into like how many units are there within that portfolio? Like what sort of returns you're talking or are there any like tax benefits and stuff like that? Yeah. So there can be a, uh, uh, you know, our, our last portfolio that we 
that we took over, there was, you know, it was $10.4 million. There was hundreds of locations. Uh, but, but typically you'll see sort of two different players. You'll see the small mom and pop ATM player. He's the guy that goes out, he'll have 150 up to about 150 machines of his own. That's pretty much capped out for, for an individual. Mm-hmm. And then he'll service the machines himself. He'll, he'll, he'll keep the cash in those machines. Mm-hmm. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the big, cardtronics of the world you have the big institutions Mm -hmm. and so we play sort of in the middle Mm -hmm. we 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 take institutional portfolios and we we play with the big institutional players we play in that space but we're we we take that then and and we give the small uh to medium sized i mean there's some large investors too but we Mm -hmm. we we open it up to individual investors come in there and invest with us in this portfolio. So it's a very unique model and I don't know anybody else that's doing it. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, what sort of tax benefit uh, does it have? Like I know sometimes uh, investors are investing in these things and they are looking for uh, sort of uh, to reduce their taxable income. Uh, how, how some of that depreciation and tax benefits work in this uh, space? Then? Yeah. So normally it's the five year depreciation schedule. So wow. let's say you, you have a seven-year contract mm-hmm. and you've got a five-year depreciation schedule. So that means that about 70 to 80% of your cash flow coming from that asset is tax-free. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome. So then uh, moving on, uh, Dave, into, uh, you know, you have some interesting uh, innovative project around coal. Uh, give us some insights as to how did that come about? Uh, you know, what's involved into that space? A lot of times when I get introduced to a new asset class or even more importantly, a new team, mm-hmm. it's from investors in my network who speak highly of somebody and they have this opportunity that, uh, you know, uh, there's a chance for someone to team up with, come alongside, do some funding, you know, and, and normally when I, you know, even look at somebody, it's, it's because, uh, you know, I've heard some noise about this person, like, wow, this is a great team. We've done business with this team. We've, you know, we've had a lot of success with this team. So what happened with, uh, in this space, and I got introduced to a team down in South Texas, and it's a very interesting sort of uh, unique way to play uh, shale, shale oil. Mm-hmm. And so what we do is we take coal mm-hmm. and we run it through a giant distillation machine or it's a, it, it's almost like a high tech oven. Mm-hmm. We break down, we turn up the heat to 1600 degrees. We break down the coal to the point where we're extracting liquids, oils mm-hmm. and gases from the coal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have contracts for that uh, liquid mm-hmm. and we control the supply. So we control the coal supply. We, we own the mines. Mm-hmm. And then on the back end, we have contracts and, uh, you know, for $162.50 a barrel for this liquid, this oil. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a way that you can use our number one most plentiful resource here in the United States and extract mm-hmm. the liquids from the coal in a very clean, uh, in, in a very clean way. I mean, they're, you know, while we're running batches of the coal and we're extracting the liquid, we're, we're releasing no emissions. Interesting. And so we're approved by the EPA. We've, you know, it's, it's the greenest way I know of to be able to work with coal and extract the liquid. Because really what we're doing is we're extracting the liquids that, 
you know, if you were to burn off the liquids in a regular coal fired power plant, Mm-hmm. The liquids is is the pollution that would go up in the air. We're extracting that stuff. And those liquids are used primarily in the cosmetic and pharmaceutical space. So it's I a very, see. very unique market, very lucrative market. It's a, great, it's a great cash flow play, and it's also a very good tax benefit. Um, it, it, it's an asset that gives you a lot of tax benefits in that you can take 100% of the of the depreciation or you can take a hundred percent of your investment mm-hmm. depreciate that in the first year plus wow. you get a, a 15% depletion uh, annualized going forward so it's, it's the most tax beneficial investment that I know of that's awesome and wh- how are the returns like uh, are they based on like how the oil gets uh, sold or is that based on the gross volume of oil that gets uh, sort of shipped uh, or rather produced at the uh, plant is that kind of how that works yeah so we extract the oil from the coal and it gets piped into our tanks and we ship that down to well, it gets shipped down to baytown texas and mm-hmm. to the refineries and they you know they refine it out and you know pull different products out of the liquids that we produced mm-hmm. and uh, of course from there um you know they sell it to different pharmaceuticals hospitals cosmetic um, folks and you know they there's a whole other market where sure. we, we we really just produce it and then sell it to them and then they go out and and uh sure, that's it. Right, right. So you are at sort of at that manufacturing side of things where as soon as the oil is uh, basically shipped, I mean, these might be some other wholesalers or distributors that perhaps in turn uh, sell it to somebody else, but you are yeah. pretty much tied to the manufacturers in general. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so what other niches you play in? Uh, these are some, you know, we covered a lot of ground for, uh, but what other things excite you, Dave? I mean, it sounds like a really uh, wide gamut of things here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we uh, we talked about multifamily. Um, we're not in the value-add multifamily acquisition phase anymore. We are building a 240-unit uh, multifamily project down in South Lake, uh, uh, Louisiana. Oh, uh, interesting. Lake, Lake Charles, Louisiana, South Lake Village. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I... I just like, for me, I just like doing business with great teams. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, I've done business with really good teams. I've done business with, with not so good teams. And, you know, when I can get in with a good team, we can do a few deals together. I love that stuff. Awesome, um, awesome. And then, you know, bringing my investors into a scenario like that, uh, where you're giving them options, where you're giving them access to great cash flow deals. A lot of my investors are exactly where I was, you know, a few years ago, where I was busy building my businesses. I was busy. I was doing really well. And I didn't have time to go out and research, you know, investment ideas, research asset classes, all that good stuff. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there like that, that have a busy, successful career or business. Sure. And I love connecting those folks up with good solid deals. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. It's been, it's been a pleasure having you. Uh, I think uh, so, so much of ground you've covered. It is, I think, uh, every topic in general, uh, you know, definitely uh, warrants more research and, and you know, learning. Uh, definitely. I'm going to personally look up the coal uh, situation myself, in fact. So <laughs> thank you for taking time. I appreciate uh, you spending time with us today. <laughs> no problem. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest. <music>